Thank you very, very much, Rabbi Golka, for that introduction. It is true. Uh, I do want to tell you guys one thing very important before I start. Is I wasn't Zoycha to have such an opportunity like you guys have. Obisabonim on a Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. What a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. What a tremendous opportunity. Uh, when I was in school, I guess we did def- different things at the time. It wasn't definitely Obisabonim at this time. But uh, you guys should enjoy it. You should appreciate it. It's tremendous. Tremendous. And... Uh, Thank you for inviting me to speak for a few minutes of a little bit of chizuk that I could possibly give at this time. I want to mention an idea that I saw in the parsha. Uh, you guys are holding a parsha snosai. We're holding parsha's baloischov already. But uh, an idea on parsha's snosai, which I saw. I don't know how many people of you actually managed to look at the parsha and see what it was about. But there's one very striking idea in this week's parsha, and that is there's a lot of repetition. You know, this it's a very, very long parasha. It's one of the longest parashas in the entire Torah, which is incredible. Straight after Shavuos, we jump into the longest parasha of the Torah, parashas Nasai. And yet it seems to be that there's a lot of repetition. We're saying the same psukim again and again and again. Now, why is this so? We know that every single posik in the Torah has a cheshben, there's a calculation, there's a purpose, there's a reason. We learn halachas from every single letter in the Torah. And yet over here, we find that the Torah is going on and on and on with the same psukim again and again. What's the purpose? So the reason for this, in a simple manner, is because the Nesim actually brought their korbonus to the, they brought their korbonus to the Mishkan, and the Chanukah Masimah and therefore they wanted to express their Korosatoyev, they wanted to bring their korbonus, and the Rabboni Shalolem in the Torah recorded every single one of their korbonus. One of the most famous answers is the Ramban, but I want to sort of take it on a different course right now. I saw a most incredible idea, which I think applies to all of us. And I think it can give, it gave me chizuk, and I think it can give all of us chizuk as well. And that is from the altar of Kelm. The altar of Kelm, Reb Simcha Zissel writes as follows, an incredible idea, why the Torah over here in Parshas Nosai repeats posik after posik of the same korban that every single one of the Nesim brought. They could have just said, alright, this Nasi brought this korban, and everyone brought the same. Why do you have to mention every single one by every single Nasi? Says of Simcha Zissel, the altar from Kelm as follows, he says an incredible idea. He said it to teach us the following, that as if we're all an individual, and therefore just like if one Nasi would have only brought one Korban and nothing else, it would have been recorded. You shouldn't think for one moment that just because all the Nasim also brought their Korban, there's so much going on, so the Simcha and the Hashivas and the Ava, the love that the Rabbani Shalom has, because they all gave the same Korban, was diminished. It went down. That's not the case. The Torah is telling us not so. The Torah is telling us that every Nasi brought his Korban and the Rabbani Shalom says, Ah! That's incredible! That's beautiful! Thank you for bringing my, you know, that wonderful Korban. It's almost like I don't know if, you know, somebody ever came to you and said, oh, this guy got engaged. Oh, that's incredible. Wow, he's been waiting years to get engaged. I'm so happy for him. That's amazing. Imagine 10 minutes later, someone comes to you and tells you the exact same piece of information, which they assume that you didn't know. 
oh, he got engaged. So, like, you don't want to, like, make the guy feel bad. So, you're like, oh, wow, that, 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 that's great. Baruch Hashem, that's wonderful. Ten minutes later, another guy, and then another guy. How many times is it going to take till you feel like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I, I got the idea. Says of Simcha Zizel, says the Alto von Kelm, when it comes to this week's parsha, and every Nasi is bringing the exact same korban, don't think for a moment the Rabbanishon doesn't have the same Simcha and that level of Simcha. And he says, it's almost like a human being, as we know, we, we are sort of, we are, we, we're quantified, we're minimized, with no matter how much of love that we can possibly have. Like if you have one child, you love that child to pieces. When you have 12 children, you love them all, but I guess a little bit less, because there's only a limited amount of love that you can have for anyone. And when it's spread, it gets a little bit less. With the Rabbanishim, it doesn't work that way. He loves every effort that we put in. He loves everything that we do. And that's an incredible idea. You know, we're holding in a situation, at least you guys in London, as I said, you know, now it's just all things are getting better in the midst of Shem. Very, very soon by you as well, you'll be able to go back to shul, you'll be able to go back to school. Things are going to be different. But the way it is right now, it's difficult to sit and learn, to open up the computer, to go to the Zoom share, try to concentrate, try, try to hear, I'm tired, the environment, the noise, it's hot, it's cold, you know, it's not so... But the Rabboni Shalom sees every single one of our efforts, and it means so much to him. The fact that so many people are doing it is irrelevant. That's the message from this week's parasha. In fact, there's a... Um, as I say for Evan Ezel. Evan Ezel is written by Rabbi Issa Zalman Meltzer, an unbelievable godly writer on Rambam. And in the Sefer Evan Ezel, he brings down in the Hagdoma. He has an over there an introduction to his Sefer. And in the Hagdoma, he brings down the following thing. Fascinating. He says, there are many things that I write in this Sefer, which I saw in others for him after I also came to that conclusion. And I was thinking... Why should I write in my Sefer something that I saw afterwards in other people's Svarim? You know, why should I write twice the same thing? And then he said, you know why? Because when I came to the conclusion, it meant so much to me. It meant so much to the Rabbi Nishalaylam. And ever the fact that I saw it by somebody else doesn't diminish my, my idea. And therefore, I think this is an incredible idea for ourselves. We're in a situation where it's not easy. We have to put in the effort. We have to try. It's not on our regular schedule. We're not on our regular surroundings. But you should know the Rabbi Shalom takes every single one of you so seriously. He loves every single one of you because what you're doing is tremendous. No effort that you put in goes unnoticed as long as you're going in the right direction. And it's a question that all of us have to ask ourselves throughout our lives. As long as we're going in the right direction, even though sometimes it's not so comfortable and it doesn't fit always in our schedule. I'll give an example. Rabbi Hanan, Rabbi Hanan was once speaking to a, a, a Yid who basically he had grown up together with him and this other year, unfortunately, had abandoned his uh, religious observance, and he wasn't religious anymore. And he was a very, very, very wealthy man. He lived in a beautiful mansion with servants and cars and all sorts of things. And Rabbi Khanum was the god of Ladar. He didn't exactly have so much money. He lived in a little house and didn't have anyone serving him or whatever it was. And they were walking together. They were schmoozing, and they were on the way to the train station. And this wealthy man's uh, train arrived. Now, it happened to be a very old, dilapidated, you know, really, really old train. 
And he was sitting there waiting, and the old man was about, you know, and the man, the wealthy man was about to get on, he was parting ways for Rebbe Hanan. And just as that happened, a beautiful new train pulled up in the other direction. So Rebbe Hanan says to the guy, he says, I, I have a question for you, why are you going on this train? This is a horrible train, the seats are all torn, the, the, the paint is peeling from the walls, there's no air conditioning, it's not a schmuck. Why don't you go on the other train? Oh, that's a first class train, that's a decent train, go on that train, you'll have a much better journey. <laughs> the guy laughs, he says, Rabbi, with all due respect for your wisdom, but that makes no sense, because this train is going in the direction that I need to go. That one's going in the wrong direction. So yeah, it's true that that one might not be so comfortable, but at least it's going in the right direction. Rabbi Hanan said, wow, did you hear what you just said? As long as you're going in the right direction, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's not so comfortable, if you're going in the right direction, that means everything. And that is incredible. I'll tell you an unbelievable story. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, the Rashiva of the May Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, Rechaim Shmulevitz was known to give Musa Shurim with tremendous passion, and he would sometimes break down in tears in the middle of one of his shmuzin. And there was one such day he walked into the Mir Yeshiva, you can imagine all the Talmudim were there, desperate to hear their Rebbe's words, and he got up to the podium, to the bima, and there he was, ready to start the shmuz, and it started with a question. And he brought a Gemara, and he brought a Medrash, and he was talking about davening, he was talking about Torah, he was talking about learning. And then he started to say a story that happened to him earlier on that week. He said he was walking down the street, and he noticed a Chayal. He noticed an Israeli soldier. This Israeli soldier, he said, I noticed was probably not, not more than about 20 years old, a youngster. And he was walking very, very slowly with a very, very distinctive uh, limp. So Reb Chaim saw, when he got closer, that Rahman Aleinu, he had lost a leg. Could you imagine? He was looking at this chayal, this soldier. He was walking. He had a, a little bit of a stick, but he was walking unaided, basically, with anybody helping him, very slowly, painfully, and he only had one real leg. Now, Reb Chaim had a very, very sensitive heart. He started to cry. At that moment, he started to cry, and he said to the young man, he said, is there anything I could do to help you, young man? I see it's difficult for you to walk. What can I do to help you? So the young man, the, uh, the chayal, the soldier, said, Rabbi, that's very, very kind of you. Thank you very, very much. But I'm, I'm okay. And Reb Chaim says, I'm so sorry to hear about your, you know, your injury. It looks terrible. I'm, I'm so sorry for you. And the young man, the soldier, said, Rabbi, it's fine. I'll be okay. I lost my leg fighting to protect my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now the Bochum in the Yeshiva time of the Meir Yeshiva were hanging on to every word that Reb Chaim was saying. He looked in the room, he started banging on the shed, he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, look at this young boy, not even 20 years old. Look what he's willing to give up, look what he's willing to go through because I need to fight for my people. Says Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, what are we willing to do? How much effort are we willing to put in? And I think it speaks to us. It's difficult for us. We're going through Corona. We don't understand what's going on. What's the Rabbi Shalom doing in the world? The world is upside down. It makes no sense. But there is something we can do. And the little we can do is be machazak ourselves to keep on going. Keep on davening however difficult it is to daven in our houses or in the gardens or, you know, in the front gardens, back gardens, in the streets, wherever it is that you're davening or emits Hashem very soon in the schools, I heard. You'll be able to go back soon to the, sh- to the shuls. But keep on being machazak. It's almost like a guy buys a car. 
You buy a brand new car. You don't know anything about cars. You walk into the show the showroom, and he said, "That's a great car. I'd like that car, please." So the guy says, "Sure, no problem. It's how much it is." You put down the money. You give him a check. He gives you the keys and says, "Have a nice day." You drive off in the car. Wow, this is beautiful. This is great. So quiet. There's air conditioning. I put on the radio. What a beautiful car. Few minutes later, the whole car stops. What is going on with it? I, I just bought this car. It makes no sense. Why should this car be stopping? And in fact, you go running back to the, the showroom, which is only just down the road. He says, excuse me, you sold me a faulty car. I said, what are you talking about? It's a brand new car. No, but it stopped working. The guy's laughing. He's like, did you put petrol in it? Petrol? What? No, you have to put petrol in it. Oh, okay. No, Ah, oh, that's what those stations... Brian, so he went to the local petrol station. He got a canister of petrol. He puts it in the car and off he goes and he drives. Now, a few hours later, after driving, it breaks down again. What is going on over here? He goes back. He says, what have you done to me? He says, no, no, no. You have to constantly fill up petrol because if you don't constantly fill up petrol, it's just not going to work. And it's the same thing in our own lives. If we're not constantly being machazic ourselves to try and get better, to try and be better, however hard it is, without looking at all the distractions. Well, Victor Miller says a beautiful idea. He says a beautiful idea. He's talking about the Chavis Halavavis, the idea of betochen and how a person has that betochen. He has to betochen to accomplish in life. And he brings a beautiful marshal. He says, a truck driver, his job was to drive goods across the country, to load up the van, to unload the van, to reload the van, drive back. That was his daily schedule. He was constantly getting tickets. Just, he just constantly getting tickets. He didn't know what to do. And eventually his boss says to him, listen here, if you get one more ticket, that's it, you're fired. I can't, I can't, you're costing me a fortune of money on, you know, the business money. I can't do this. So he didn't know what to do. So the next time he traveled, he was so careful. He was so careful to make sure that he drove at the right speed, in the right way, and he made sure that he didn't get a ticket. He comes back, his boss says, no, what happened? He says, oh, boss, you'll be happy, you'll be proud. I managed to drive the whole way. I didn't, no, no flashes, no tickets, no police there on the side. I was great. Unbelievable. The boss says, that's incredible. Okay, let's unload the truck, right? Let's get, let's get moving. If that's what you did, that's beautiful. He says, oh, unload the truck. I kind of forgot to actually fill the truck. Says Rav Victor Miller, sometimes we're so busy with all the distractions, with everything else that's going on, the latest news, the latest situation. What about this? What about that? We forget to actually fill our souls with the goods. Every step of effort that we take is absolutely incredible. You know, the Torah tells us, who was greater? No, if you ask a person the following question, who was the greatest man to ever live in the Jewish history? I think, I assume, most guys would probably answer Moshe Rabbeinu. People, I'm sure, would say Avramovinu, Dovod Melach. There are many, Baruch Hashem. Klaus Rabbi have many Chashev Yidden. But if you want to ask, who was the greatest guy ever, not guy, who was the greatest human being ever to walk on planet Earth, probably most people would answer Moshe Rabbeinu. Isn't it interesting how the Torah sometimes put Moshe Rabbeinu's name before Aaron and sometimes after Aaron HaKoyin? What's the reason? If Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest, so what's with Aaron HaKoyin? The answer is because they were both great in their own right. Moshe Rabbeinu has his tachlis and Aaron HaKoyin had his tachlis. Every single one of us have our purpose in life, have our tachlis in life that we have to try and strive toward. None of us have the same tachlis. Every single one of us have a different purpose in this life. And just like 
If you are the person that goes and deals with diamonds and you take diamonds and you chip them away to make them worth more money and cleaner, whatever it may be, you're not jealous on the guy in the street that's got this huge machine digging down on the road on the cement to dig it up. Wow, what a great utensil, what a great machine he's got. I want that. No, because it's not going to be good for me. It's the same thing with all of us. We have to realize that every single one we're put in this world with a purpose, with a goal, with the aspirations that the Rebbe wants from us. All our job to do is to make a little bit of effort. I'll just finish with one last incredible story. This story happened during World War II. There were actually many American boys who actually served in the American, in the United States uh, Navy at the time. Now, obviously, there was tremendous dangers of being in the war, but the Jewish Navy men were actually um, faced with many more challenges regarding their mitzvahs, for example, keeping kosher. The Navy did not provide special kosher meals to all the sailors at the time, so basically they decided that they're going to keep kosher. That was at their own expense. They had to basically forego all the meals that everyone else was getting and eating. And they would basically have to have the little, you know, rations of bread and water and fruit and vegetables, whatever they could take with them and buy, whatever they could get. Now, this was not ideal if you're fighting a war and you're fighting your life. You need all the energy you can get. But there were many brave Jewish men that actually did this. And they would not eat anything that was not kosher, even if their lives depended on it. There was such a Jew called Eli. Now he was at sea. The young sailors were at many, you know, obstacles, you know, seasickness, homesickness. They were adapting to their surroundings. But the most difficult thing was the life and death, you know, when they got to war and battle against the German boats. One particular day, our Eli finds himself in, in, in involved in such an encounter. There was a battle, fire back and forth, and the American destroyer that he was on had actually just narrowly avoided a direct hit from the enemy, but this time a German missile struck the boat and the side. Some of the shipmen went flying. The boat was in danger of sinking. It took tremendous efforts, but they eventually managed to actually keep the boat and stop it from sinking. There was serious damage for the rest of the day. They had to go and patch it up. And the storage compartment where most of the dry goods were actually totally destroyed. At the end of the day, most of the sailors sat down and after a day of fighting and exhaustion, they managed to try and have a decent meal that they could have. He, Ellie, wasn't able to do that because he had nothing to eat. Not only was he not able to eat the food on the boat, but his personal supply of bread and other things was totally destroyed. So he went around with his bowl of meat that they had given him, which he knew wasn't kosher and he was never going to eat, to trade with other people. Give me some bread. I'll, t- I'll give you my meats, please. And everybody wasn't interested because, number one, they wanted all the food they could get. And number two, they knew that this boy is not going to eat the meat. So why would I trade it for bread? He was running out of options. He was running out of energy. And he found that there was one sailor who loved bread and who put bread aside, you know, whenever he could, even before the bombers hit. Ellie went out over to his cabin. He offered to trade the meat for the bread. And the fellow said, absolutely not. You know, who knows what else I'm going to eat over here. I love bread. I'm not giving. I'm not parting from it. Ellie was so desperate. He offered him all the money. He didn't budge. He said, there's one thing I want from you. That I saw that you have extra clothing. If you give me the extra clothing, I'll give you my supply of bread. He didn't know what to say. This was the only clothing that he had. What should he do? But there was no choice. He was going to starve. So he said, no, Bob, I'll give it to you as well. In four weeks, the ship eventually would dock and would restock. He knew it was temporary and he did it. Ellie survived the war. He came back to America. He got married. He had four children. 
all of these children had an unbelievable Hatzlacha in Torah that became tremendous Talmidei Chachamim. And one of them actually married the daughter of the Godel Hadar of Nisan Karel Zatzel. When Nisan Karelitz heard this story of self-sacrifice of Mesiris Nefesh, he said, it's poshet. Anybody that puts himself in a situation of going beyond what he needs to do and still tries, the Rabbi Shalom looks at that effort that he puts in and always remembers and always pays him back for that effort. Rabbi Sai, it's a Sunday morning. You guys, it's 10.30, 10.40 in the morning. You guys are up, dressed, out of bed, listening to a share, ready, I'm sure, to learn more as well. That's incredible. Keep the effort. Yes, it's difficult. It's not so easy. It's not so geschmack. We don't have our regular surroundings. But at the end of the day, whatever effort you make, the Rabboni Shon remembers, and he will always pay you back for that. I'm wishing you all a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And I want to thank you again, Rabbi Golka and all the staff at Hasmanian for inviting me to speak for this Ovis Abon. And what a tremendous chos to speak in front of all of you. You should all have a lot of atzlocha. Be'ez HaShem.